When I see her smile in the sunlight, and I lay with Welcome to All Things Billy. I'm your host, Michael Anthony Judasissi. How'd you like that song, Last Night in Sumner? I wrote that. It's actually only, uh, no, I guess it's a full song. <laughs> There's another one I only wrote half of. But uh, that was produced and uh, arranged by Jimmy James Norris. And Jimmy played all, most, if not all, of the instruments on that, too. It was just me singing. 
Last Night in Sumner, written about, uh, well, July 14, 1881. And that's what we're going to uh, talk about a bit on today's episode. Of course, I always want to thank you all for your <laughs> patronage. <laughs> uh, you, uh, the the uh, number of listeners continues to grow, especially on YouTube. Um, hundreds of listeners on the YouTube episode, so thank you for that. And uh, today, or rather than try to just uh, decode <clears throat> decode everything, you know, that happened or could have happened on July 14, 1881, Fort Sumner, New Mexico Territory, we're going to talk about Pat Garrett's story. Because uh, Garrett's story has got some interesting <laughs> takes on things. And uh, I'd like to pick it apart a little bit and see what we can learn from it to see if Pat Garrett was telling the truth, uh, to see if Pat Garrett, you know, told a few white lies, or to see if Pat Garrett totally, uh, <laughs> you know, lied about the entire thing and something that uh, and something happened that he didn't cop to. And there's some clues in his story or various versions of the story that we'll, uh, we'll take a look at. Here's the thing to uh, remember. There's four possible outcomes to July 14, 1881. Oh, and before I go forward, I should say, I uh, would love to get your commentary. Email the show, billythekidridesagain at gmail.com. Uh, go ahead and hit our Twitter page. BTK uh, at BTK rides, or just find me on social media and cuss me out there. Okay, all right. There's four possible outcomes of what could have happened on the night of 14 July, 1881. The first one is that Pat Garrett shot and killed Billy the Kid, either exactly like he said he did, or something kind of like he said he did. Or nothing like he said he did, but he still shot and killed Billy and buried him the next day. Second possible outcome is Garrett shot Billy Barlow. Or even a Mexican sheep herder or whatever it may be. And uh, brushy Bill Roberts, or Billy the Kid at that time, fought his way out of Fort Sumner, was gravely wounded but recovered and went on to live a uh, kind of cool, spectacular life before coming forward in 1948. Third thing is, nothing happened that night at all because Billy the Kid was John Miller and had been shot a week before, was being nursed back to health by Isadora or Manuela Baudry, whoever she may be, and then left Fort Sumner and made their way to uh, Las Vegas, arriving August 8, 1881. And the fourth potential outcome is everything else, right? Everything all clumped into one that the kid got away, uh, went to old Mexico, went to Bolivia, went to Afghanistan. I mean, you know, whatever. Anything else that you want to throw in there could be the fourth outcome. And that's kind of it. So rather than try to tackle all of those stories, and we've talked about some, we'll, we'll you know, go into Brushy's story in detail in upcoming episodes. But rather than pick uh, all those apart, let's talk about Pat Garrett. Because as my buddy Steve Cedarwall says, you know, you, you look at all the stories. 
you look at Brushy and Miller and Garrett and and there's holes in every single story. None of them are airtight. None of them without uh, question can be accepted just on face value. And that certainly includes Garrett's. So uh, the kid escapes Lincoln, killing Bell and Ollinger, April 1881. Makes his way to Fort Sumner, um, loses his horse eventually, and has to walk the last part of it uh, almost 20 miles uh, into Sumner on his own. Garrett is uh, is uh, portrayed as being incredulous that the kid could still possibly be in the territory. And for almost two months, does nothing. Now, he's got a new baby at home, um, so we understand that. But uh, he, the, the way he's portrayed is, hey, come on, he's, there's no way he stayed here in New Mexico after all that. And so, you know... This is a waste of time. So before we go on, let, let's talk about that. You know, uh, Billy, what the hell were you doing? What was the thinking behind going to Fort Sumner? I mean, Sumner's, I don't know, 100 miles away as the crow flies, something like that. But that's the best you could come up with? And Billy was told he'd have to leave the territory by his friends or that Garrett would get him. And he said, oh, you know, I... You know, I don't have any money. I need to get some money before I can go to old Mexico. And besides, I, you know, I don't think he'll try to get me up here. Really? <laughs> he killed Tom Folliard there. He killed Charlie Bowdry about 15 or 16 miles from there. You really don't think he'd come up there? And each of them he thought could have been you. You don't think he'd come up there to get you? Do you think you scared him off by killing his deputies? Like, oh, Billy's too scary to go after now? Just really poor decision-making. And the idea of, hey, I've got to make some money before I'm going to old Mexico. Well, hang on a second. How did you make money, Billy the Kid? Now, when he was younger, he may have worked for Charlie Bowdry and Doc Skurlock in their cheese factory. They had a cheese factory. How cool. I wish I had a cheese factory. And then he gets to Lincoln. Oh, well, he joins the Jesse Evans gang, and they make money by stealing stuff. Uh, but then he goes and gets a job with John Tunstall in Lincoln. Legitimate job. You know, cowboy. That doesn't last very long because the Lincoln County War starts and, you know, Tunstall's, I guess they're still on the payroll, McSween footing the bill. Uh, but now they're paid soldiers. And then after that, the money uh, dries up. So how did you make your money after that, Billy the Kid? Well, you made your money by gambling, which you're apparently pretty good at, dealing Monty and by stealing horses and by stealing cattle. Now, Billy the Kid was never a big-time cattle rustler or horse thief stealing, you know, hundreds of cattle, dozens of horses, or, you know, those kind of things. That just was never his M.O. He really did seem to steal to survive. That doesn't make it any better, but it's it was never a large-scale operation. So you can't steal horses on the way to Mexico or cattle? You can't gamble down Seven Rivers and some of those towns all the way heading down to the border. Of course you could. The The excuse of, uh, well, I got to get some money together before I go down to old Mexico just doesn't hold any water because any of the stuff that you were doing to get money together could be done on the way or in old Mexico. 
And yeah, Billy had friends in Fort Sumner, but anybody that believes, I mean, anybody that believes everybody in Fort Sumner loved Billy the Kid, you, you got to have your head examined. If you go to a Trump rally, 98% of the people there are diehard Trump supporters, but 2% of them either don't, eh, I'm not so sure, or they go there because they're because they want to look in the eye at the people who are Trump supporters because they completely don't believe in him. Same thing with a Biden, uh, 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 whatever you call it, rally, right? Most of the people there are support Biden, but even there, there's a few that don't and are upset or they want to ask a question and they want to heckle him. And those are set up, right? They're drawn directly from the, uh, uh, the, the, the base of popularity of those people Fort Sumner was not designed as a base of popularity for Billy the Kid. It was just a town out on the out on the plains of eastern New Mexico. So anybody that thinks that it's a totally partisan environment, that everybody loved this kid, that's crazy. That doesn't happen. That's not human nature. So I'm sure Billy had friends, many friends in Fort Sumner. But he also had enemies and people that didn't want him around or, and a lot of people that were just ambivalent, like, oh, there's, there's Billy Bonnie, that horse and cattle thief. Heard he killed his guards. I think I'll steer clear of him. Don't want him to kill me. That's kind of the way life works no matter where you go. But I'm sure there were certainly people, I know there were people that would stand with him to the death. And he counted on them to protect, to save him, to warn him. But he should have left, really should have left. And he didn't because we don't know. A woman? Well, we'll get to that part. But most likely it'd be a woman. So Garrett finally gets his uh, men together. And in June, he heads out and keeps working his way east, finally getting a tip that the kid is somewhere around Sumner in mid-July. And in the way Garrett writes it, he decides to visit Fort Sumner on July the 14th. They ride in under the cover of night. And he's going to look around to see if he can find the kid or find anybody that knows where the kid is. So he's going to hunt him here. He's out. He's going for it. This is his, you know, uh, this is where he makes his stand. Uh, Garrett enters the peach orchard with uh, Poe and McKinney. And he says it's about 9 p.m., and it's dark. Now, there's no daylight savings time in 1881, and so New Mexico in July, three weeks after the, is it the uh, vernal equinox? Summer, longest day of daylight in summer. Um, In New Mexico now, during that time, it's 9.15 before the, the light is gone from the sky. That's daylight savings time. So 8.15, 8.20 at the latest, it's dark. So yes, Garrett's version of being there about 9 o'clock in the peach orchard under the cover of darkness is, uh, is absolutely valid. There's really not a question about that. Got it. Okay. He stations himself with Poe and McKinney in the peach orchard, and they just observe the town. Now, the peach orchard is north of the fort buildings. And I've never been in the peach orchard because it doesn't exist anymore. Right now it would be where there's a farm in the road that runs east and west just just to the north of where the, uh, the cemetery is. 
and there's a drainage, uh, you know, an acequia, a drainage ditch or a, a, you know, watering uh, trough. That was not there. So I don't know how much they could see, but they're in there. And uh, Garrett says that there's a, a he you know sees a man and woman jump the, the wall or the fence, and uh, they are they have amorous intentions. <laughs> and uh, and they can hear the soft moans and the speaking in Spanish, and it sounds very romantic. Or or maybe it sounds I don't know maybe not romantic maybe hot. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds like something. And at some point, the uh, the two lovers, uh, which uh, Garrett says you know m- m- needed some privacy from the. Uh, from you know the fort, so maybe it was some illicit type thing. Uh, they finish, they stand up, they hop the wall, and go back into the fort buildings. Now Garrett later surmises, "Oh, this must have been." I realize later that this was Billy the Kid, and this is the first thing that really caught my attention and made my ears go up, because Garrett will later describe or Poe and McKinney will describe the kid as walking toward the Maxwell house, fastening his trousers, and with no shoes on. And Garrett earlier has Billy having sex with some woman out in the peach orchard. Now, this is an hour or two hours earlier, so it's not like it just happened and then all of a sudden... Billy walks into Maxwell's room. So we'll get back to the walk up to the Maxwell house, but Garrett does some foreshadowing here in his story. He may have seen two people, you know, banging it out, um, which is well and good, but he makes one of them Billy because it's very convenient for what comes later. If you've ever won the lottery, and I haven't, like, you know, the, the pick six or Powerball or one of those, you know, multi-million dollar lotteries. Congratulations. You probably know what it's like to be Pat Garrett just based on Garrett's story. In other words, Pat Garrett is hunting for the most wanted man in the territory. He can't find him. He goes to Fort Sumner. He walks into Pete Maxwell's bedroom under the cover of night and says, hey, Pete, where's the kid? The kid walks in. Garrett grabs his gun, shoots and kills him. Done. I mean, that's just a pretty convenient story and makes Garrett look like it doesn't make him look bad because he goes, oh, I was just lucky. Hey, you know, he's very look makes him look very self-deprecating um, like, wow, you know, I'm not great. But, wow, it's luck of the Irish. Eh? Uh, that's like winning the lottery. And so when you start to look at Garrett's story, you go, eh, I don't know if things happen this way. But anyway, the two lovers jump the wall, go back into Fort Sumner. And then Garrett and his deputies, after spending a short time there, decide finally, hey, let's go check with Maxwell. Garrett says later on, we were going to pull out the next day, assuming we weren't going to find the kid. So I figured I'd go check with Maxwell to see if he knew the kid's whereabouts. Now we're getting near midnight. July 14, 1881. And... Garrett says he stations Poe and McKinney on the porch and says, wait out here. And he walks in. Now imagine this. He walks in 
near midnight to Pete Maxwell's bedroom. Maxwell is snoring. They can hear him out the door. He says the door is open and the windows are open because it's a warm night. And he walks up and shakes Pete awake and says, Hey, Pete, wake up. Have you seen the kid? If someone does that to me, if I'm sleeping in a bedroom alone, right, there's really only three, one of three outcomes that can happen if someone does that, walks into my house and physically wakes me up. The first one is I jump the freak out of my skin. Like, who the hell is in my house? It's pitch black. There's no electric lights. It's not like you can flip the light switch on. Like, I'm totally shocked. Like, what the hell is going on here? Second thing is, I could wake up and rationally answer and go, Oh, hello, Pat. How are you? That's chat. Oh, what? You want to know where Billy is? I, <laughs> Maxwell wouldn't have talked like that, but I just wanted to be very cultured and refined. I think that might be a Cockney accent. Somebody help me out with that. And the third thing is, I'd grab my three fifty-seven and I'd put a bullet in you, assuming that you were... A uh, an intruder. If I'm in the house alone, in my bedroom alone, and no one else is there, that's it. I either wake up and say hi, I freak out, or I shoot you. I don't know how good of a shot Maxwell was. I don't know how safe he felt, whether he slept with a gun nearby or anything like that. But the you know the, just the the idea that you would go do this and take that risk. In a place that's already kind of hair trigger because Billy Bonnie's hanging around and he's the most wanted man in the territory. I don't know. I don't know that Garrett did that. And if he did, I think that shows really bad judgment on his part because he could have caught a slug right between the eyes. But Garrett says he wakes Pete up. Pete's kind of aggravated and grouchy. And and Pat says, hey, have you seen the kid? And uh, Maxwell replies... Uh, he's not here, but he's nearby. At about the same time as this discussion is going on, Poe and McKinney are out on the porch, and here comes a man walking toward them, fastening his trousers, it appears, and he's shoeless. He's got stockings, socks on. No hat on his head. All right. Now, I have heard people say, hey, why would you be walking around in the middle of night in New Mexico without shoes on? And you know what? I concur. Go walk in Fort Sumner now. Just just take your shoes off and go walk the gravel trail from the cemetery down to the spot where Billy was killed or he wasn't. Um, and uh, walk over some goat heads and uh, do it at night. So if there's snakes around, maybe one of them will get a shot at you. Like, it doesn't make any sense that you wouldn't just slip your boots on. Now, the story that Brushy Bill tells is, hey, he was out at a dance. He and, uh, and Barlow were out at a dance and made their way back to town later on. And so maybe his feet were sore from dancing too much. You know, moonwalking, something like that. But you you just don't walk around. It's not like they he walked just along the porch. He had to walk across the grounds of Fort Sumner. And also, by the way, like the the uh, the sanitation <laughs> in these places, there's no plumbing, right? There's no running water. You don't flush the toilet when you're done. It kind of you know is is, is all around you, so to speak. 
So I don't think I'd be walking around with no shoes on in the middle of the night in Fort Sumner, New Mexico, or really anywhere else in New Mexico. So that doesn't add up. And the other thing is, uh, Garrett says that there's a knife in one hand and a Colt self-cocker, so that would be a uh, lightning, I think, meaning it's a, a double action. Um, and so how are you fastening your pants up if you don't have a holster for either thing? I mean, it's it seems pretty difficult to fasten your trousers while you have a knife in one hand and a gun in the other. But people say, hey, Garrett invented the gun to make it seem like he was in mortal danger. When if you see the knife that's purported to be the one Billy was carrying, it looks kind of like a butter knife. I mean, a big butter knife, not very sharp, certainly not very deadly. It doesn't have a sharp point on it or anything like that. So I think Garrett, even if he took a slice with a knife, probably would have been okay. So I, I question, did Billy actually have a gun? I don't know where the gun is. No one's ever seen it since. And we don't know what kind of gun he would have had. It certainly was not, or very likely, was not the gun or guns he had when he was arrested in Stinking Springs. So whatever it was was stolen or borrowed or something. So that's... uh, that makes me wonder, but the, the kid, so Garrett's story is the kid walks in. He says, Pete, who are those guys on the porch? And Maxwell bolts upright and goes, that's him, meaning that's the kid. The kid senses that somebody's there next to Maxwell's bed, and he hisses, Kienes, Kienes, and he points his gun at that person within a foot of their, that person's chest. Garrett paints himself again as incredulous that how could this be the kid? He doesn't want to shoot one of Maxwell's friends, but he hears the voice and he knows the voice too well to be mistaken. And so he has to roll off of his hip. He's actually sitting on his holster. It's kind of on the back of his leg. And he pulls his gun and he fires. And the first bullet hits the kid just above the heart. And then Garrett stands and fires again, jumps up, and that bullet ricochets off who knows what. Very famous furniture, a wash basin or something else, headboard. And the kid falls, a little groan, and falls and hits the ground. Maxwell jumps up in his night clothes and runs out, and Garrett runs out following him. Goes out. Poe says, you've shot the wrong man. The kid wouldn't come here. Garrett seems unsure, and he goes, no, I know his, too, his voice too well to be mistaken. And they peer in under candlelight that either Pete or DeLuvina uh, puts on the windowsill, and they see it's the kid, and that's that. Okay, pretty simple. One in a million, baby. It's one in a million. And it really kind of is one in a million. If you're creating a story that makes you look like a hero... Then you say that you hunted the kid and tracked him and, you know, at great cost to personal life, faced off a gang of, like, you create anything and then you you have this showdown in the dark. And Maxwell's not going to talk. He wanted the kid gone, more than likely. It seems like he did. He wasn't really happy that Billy and Paulita had some sort of interest in each other. And he probably just wanted to run his town without having 
you know, murderers come and go and, you know, kind of uh, upset the, the balance of, uh, you know, some, some sort of peacefulness there. But, uh, so Garrett doesn't invent a story like that. And I think wisely so. I, I, I don't think it would be a, a good idea. I don't think it would sell well for Garrett to make up something so far-fetched about some heroic deed where, you know, Billy's bullet whizzed by his ears and, you know, Garrett stood there in a hail of gunfire and took careful aim and slayed the boy bandit. What Garrett does is he tells a very simple story that's easy to remember, which is very key whether you're telling the truth or you're making something up, but a story that's very easy to remember and doesn't make him seem heroic, so that it probably won't be questioned. There's nothing super uh, uh, heroish about Garrett's actions. He just rolls off of his gun, he pulls it, aims, and pulls the trigger. He can't probably even see what he's aiming at. He's kind of shooting at a voice. And his bullet luckily finds the mark, luckily for him. All right, so let's go back. Remember Garrett said, I later realized that that was the kid in the peach orchard. Knocking boots, in the words of Dwight Schrute. (laughs) Well, what do you... Look, if you're going to get a steak... Well, when I get hungry to get a steak at about midnight nowadays, here's what I do. I unfasten my pants so that the front's open. And then I take my shoes off. And then I go to Walmart with my pants open and my junk hanging out and my socks on. Now, at Walmart, that's acceptable attire. I mean, that's the way you're supposed to dress to go get a steak at midnight. In fact, there's cases where you you might be overdressed like that. But Fort Sumner in 1881 was not Walmart. It's a much more genteel and refined place. To, to go and walk out, even at midnight, a wanted man, knowing that, you know, anybody could take a shot at you, and to, to not even button your pants before you go and not put shoes on in case you needed to make a run for it, makes zero sense. If you're hungry after a night of amorous lovemaking, somewhere, whether it be in another house or in maybe in Paulie to Maxwell's bedroom. Then your pants are probably undone and you probably don't have your shoes on. In fact, if you are surprised in the midst of a session of <laughs> lovemaking, your pants are probably undone, or maybe they're around your knees, just depending on <laughs> how you approach this, and you don't have your shoes on, more than likely. And so the stories start to come out that uh, Garrett maybe kidnapped Paulita and held her hostage to lure Billy in. I kind of doubt that Pete would have put up with that. I mean, I don't know that Pete Maxwell was the world's bravest guy. He may have been. But I don't think he would put up with Garrett tying up his sister and putting her in danger in the middle of what could be a shootout with Billy the Kid. But other people have said that the kid was actually in the Maxwell house with Paulita. 
And if that's the case and Maxwell uh, or rather Garrett breaks in while they're in the middle of whatever, whatever their activity was, well, yeah, then the kid's pants would be down, open, off, and he wouldn't have any shoes on. That makes way, way more sense than the kid walking half, you know, half dressed across the parade ground to cut a slice of meat. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Maybe he breaks into Celsa Gutierrez's house or Abrana Garcia or, uh, gosh, whoever, whatever Billy's plaything of the moment was and shoots him there. Shoots him right in bed with the woman next to him and tells her, hey, don't say a word of this to anybody for the rest of your life or I'll get you too. I don't know. But the whole idea that the kid would do this would would be, you know, clothed, attired this way, walk totally unsuspecting into an ambush is goes against everything that we think we know about Billy the Kid. His preparedness, his bravery, his his insight, his kind of uh, uh, presence of mind just doesn't make any sense. Uh, other reports were that Garrett shot the kid from, a, he was under a couch or under a, 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 like a table, a bed, in the hallway of Maxwell's house, kid walks in and Garrett shoots him in the face with a shotgun. Or shoots somebody else in the face with a shotgun so they can't be recognized. And then passes that body off as somebody else. I don't know. So I think Garrett sets up the, uh, the uh, you know, foreshadowing by saying they see these people in the peach or, uh, orchard. I'm not convinced of that. Then I think his deputies uh, pick up on that or have to create this, hey, this guy walks across the parade ground, his pants are undone, his shoes are off, and he's kind of unkempt, and he's you know, trying to you know, put, him, put himself back together as he walks over. I don't think that that actually happened the way that it was said. And then you get into the aftermath. And the aftermath is that we can't even determine who went and got a candle and peered into the room to see if the kid was dead. Was it Pete Maxwell, as he said? Was it DeLavina, as she said? Was it Garrett? Now, I understand these details can get lost over time, certainly, but Garrett wasn't removed from that time. He wrote his book, and it was published within a year. Then you talk about the, you know, what, what happened with the body. Well, uh, Garrett has the coroner's jury uh, convening over the body in the bedroom, except Garrett also has the body released so that it can be carried to a carpenter's bench in a wake properly held with, a, with the Billy dressed in a suit that Garrett paid for. I didn't know they had a suit store in Fort Sumner. Isn't that wild? They had a, like a men's warehouse of all the. <laughs> I mean, I guess in in a in a town you got to have everything. I'm sure there's like some general store, but isn't that wild that at mid, <laughs> midnight on, or one a.m. July fifteenth you can go buy a suit in Fort Sumner? That's crazy. You can't even buy a suit in Albuquerque at one a.m. on a on a Friday night. There's no place to buy a suit. I think the only place that would be open is a 24-hour Walmart, and I don't think they sell suits at Walmart. Maybe they do. I don't know. But at Fort Sumner, you could. 
I wonder if the Starbucks was still open then as well. They could have all celebrated over a uh, skinny uh, mocha latte or something. <laughs> but all the details start to get confused. Was the body moved or was it, you know, was it kept in the bedroom where Garrett and his deputies hold themselves up and protected it? Was it placed on the bench or was it put somewhere else? Did Garrett buy the suit or did uh, somebody, you know, pull Like uh, one of the other stories I heard is that the, the suit or they couldn't find a shirt. So Pete, one of Pete Maxwell's shirts was put on Billy's body and they had to use these uh, like a hat pins to pin the shirt uh, in the back so that it could um, so that it would look, you know, proper. It would be fitted around his torso. That comes from somebody who lives in Fort Sumner. That's one of those old-timey things. So lots of questions there. And Garrett said, well, we were about to ride out the next day. We'd kind of given up on this. Well, where were you going the next day? That was it? It was over? Like, like that? <laughs> you're just, you're just going to bail out? Oh, well, we didn't find him, guys. Good try. Leave it for the next sheriff. Maybe that's what Garrett was hoping. After a couple weeks, he wanted to get home to his new baby and to his wife in Lincoln. And maybe he thought, you know what? I'll make a little effort here. We'll go sit in the peach orchard. We'll watch two people screw. I'll go into Pete's. He'll tell me he hasn't seen the kid. And I can just go home and just ride it out until the next election. Where Garrett didn't even run for sheriff anyway. He just kind of gave up on the job. Maybe Garrett didn't want to be the guy that killed Billy the Kid. Maybe. Garrett thought, you know, if I kill Billy the Kid, he does have a lot of friends here. I'm going to have a target on my back for the rest of my life. Anytime I'm in or around New Mexico and maybe elsewhere. Maybe he just put up enough kind of effort towards this that he figured, you know, it's, I give it the good old college try. And I can't find him. What do you want me to do? Go back home. It's the end of July. August, September, October, there's a new election and, you know, and then, then, then we're done. We move on. Somebody will find him at some point, but why does it have to be me? I'm not saying that that's his mindset, but it could have been. So when you look at it on the, on the surface, the story that Pat Garrett tells is incredibly simple. It's incredibly easy to remember. There are a couple of details in there that you would say, oh, well, that's the story of a person telling the truth. But all in all, it really doesn't add up. Unless Pat Garrett was the luckiest son of a bitch in the world to put himself right in the place where Billy Bonney was going to walk in at just the time he was going to walk in there and he was going to leave the next morning and not go back and head back to Lincoln, well, then Pat Garrett won the Billy the Kid Powerball sweepstakes. But if that's not true, then Garrett took his time to craft a story that would cover up what really happened so that he could make himself look okay, didn't make himself look heroic, and he didn't make himself look like a fool, 
And he could live with the stigma of, hey, you know what? I didn't really find Billy. He kind of found me. And I just happened to pull the trigger first. But when you took at all the evidence, the butter knife and the fastening the pants and undressed and happened to walk right into the room and then speaking Spanish to Pete, and you know, Pete's only, I think, a quarter, you know, Hispanic. Like, that stuff, those are details that don't make a whole lot of sense. If Pat Garrett killed Billy the Kid, it's very likely it did not happen the way that he said it did. If Pat Garrett killed Billy the Kid on 14 July 1881, something else probably happened. And the only people that know what that something else were obviously are long gone, but maybe Poe and McKinney, but we don't even know that. They may very well have just been out on the porch. Maybe Pete Maxwell and Garrett knew. Maxwell said, hey, he's next door banging Paulita and come on, I'll go hold her down and you kill him. Maybe. Or maybe somebody in Fort Sumner tipped off Pat as to which house Billy would be in, having his amorous intent. And then uh, Pat went in there. Just don't know. And we won't ever know. You have to be okay with not ever knowing that because no one there recorded anything substantially different than what Garrett said. They say that history is written by the winners. And in this case, that's true. Garrett won the fight. Billy was dead or wasn't if he escaped. But Garrett was the one left standing, so he got to write what happened. And when the winners write history, they write it in a way that makes themselves seem just. And I think that's what happened here. I think Garrett fell just in his tracking of the kid and ultimately in killing him. And I think he wrote a, a description of how that happened that made it seem plausible. And no one ever wrote anything different. Now, you're going to tell me, well, on his deathbed, Tip McKinney told his son that, that they never killed the kid. Okay, prove it. Well, I can't prove it. He told his son, and then his son told somebody else, and then they told somebody. If You, you have to be able to pull apart hearsay and fable from fact. Okay? Now... If you think the only thing that Tip McKinney did in his life was, you know, stand on the porch while Billy the Kid was killed, like that was the most important day in his life, I would say you're probably sadly mistaken. The guy had a full life as a lawman, businessman, and, you know, it probably was a blip on his radar that he happened to be there that night. But to think that on his deathbed, that's the thing he had to tell his son. Son, come here. There's been a secret I've been holding back. And this is the most important. I'm dying. I don't want to tell you I love you. I don't want to say goodbye. I don't want to, you know, tell you to take care of your mother. But I got to tell you this. That just rings and smacks of somebody made something up. And two people believed it. And then two people believed them. And so on and so on and so on. It'll never be proven 
which means it probably never happened. Oh, and Poe changed his story, too. Well, Poe wrote a book. You can read that close enough to the time when it happened that he should still remember some of the key details, and he didn't put that in the book. So we're never going to know. And anybody coming up with some, you know, handed-down legend from... 140 years ago is never going to have any real credibility. All you get is opinion and supposition, which is exactly what this is. My opinion is that if Pat Garrett killed Billy the Kid, it did not happen at all like he said. Too many inconsistencies, too pat, too cut and dry, And I don't think Pat Garrett was the luckiest son of a bitch in the world. I think Pat Garrett was calculating. I think he was cool under fire. I think he was cold. And he'd shown that in his killing of Folliard and Bowdry. And I don't think all of a sudden he just became this self-deprecating lucky man who happened to be in the right place, the right time, and killed the most wanted man in New Mexico territory, and one of the most probably wanted men in the country. Well, Pat's not here to tell us anymore what happened. I'm only here to tell you what I think happened. But think about those key differences. Think about those things that don't quite fit the narrative and realize that we probably don't know the way historically that things happened we probably are never going to know with any surety and if you're a believer in John Miller or Brushy Bill or something else we probably are never going to know what's in the ground in Fort Sumner was it Billy was it Billy Barlow was it a Mexican sheep herder was it a box of rocks was it a saddle was it a side of beef I've heard every one of those Or maybe it's just an empty coffin. It was not Rosita Luna. Or was it? (laughs) A little back to Billy reference there for you. So, that's Pat Garrett's story. And he's sticking to it. He doesn't have any choice. He's long gone now. What do you think? Email the show at BillyTheKidRidesAgain at gmail.com Find us on Twitter at BTK Rides. And if you look in the show description, I'll put the, uh, the uh, verbal commentary link in there. <laughs> Basically, you can uh, go there and you can leave a voice message, which I can then play on the show. Like you can be a part, a real legitimate part of the show. Your voice can be heard. I won't edit you. I will let you... Well, I mean, I might edit you if you go on for an hour. But I will let you get your point across. Tell me what you think Pat Garrett did or didn't do that fateful night. And uh, we've got a couple of uh, interesting uh, interviews coming up over the next week. We're going to dip more into Brushy Bill's story. Then we're going to take a step back and start talking about some of the key events of the Lincoln County War. Because we're stuck down in the middle of the Lincoln County War. Stuck down in the middle... I think we'll play that song here. Nice way to go out. Written and performed 
by Michael Anthony Giudicissi and Jimmy James Norris, and background vocals by Vincent Ascoli. Here it is, Lincoln County War. We'll see you next time. Oh, children.